Here we go. Season 7. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the New Covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It's Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters, number 306. So much to talk about, so little time. Still don't know what we're talking about. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I'm enjoying uh, Caleb's Silverwood, Idaho shirt. I'm Rob Vanoff. Pop the collar, yo. Right? How's it going, man? Uh, I'm, like, I'm like trying to figure out that. Oh no! Here we go. <laughs> Impromptu concert. Yeah. Right. Do do bow do 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 Yeah, we can't hear it. <laughs> Too hard to hear. All right. How's it going, everybody? What up, everybody in the chat room? Good to see you. So, guess what I did yesterday? Rob already knows, but I'm telling all. About, I'll tell. I'll tell everyone else anyway. Uh, what I did yesterday was I sat down and I uh, I recorded a response to Matt Powell officials. I love it how he has his his YouTube channel, Matt Powell official, as if there's that's in case for the counterfeits yeah, out there. Yeah, just in case, just in it's case. Like the, it's like it's like the what, what do you call the authentication uh, authentication strip on a hundred dollar bill? Like it's got to hold it up to the light. And you're like, yeah. It's like he tried to make the Twitter blue check on his own account. Anyway. I'm not trying to make fun of him. Uh, in all seriousness, I responded yesterday to his uh, documentary titled The Sacred Name, Laying an Axe to the Hebrew Roots Movement. <clears throat> I did that. Right now, it's a private video for people who subscribe to my blog. When I say subscribe, I mean contribute uh, financially. Um, and then uh, next week, so actually sometime this week on uh, Growing a Messiah, I will release... My latest video, or the video before that, which is titled, What is the Hebrew Roots Movement? And I contrast that against the Messianic Movement. And then next week, I will release into the public, into the wild. I will release into the wild my review and my response to Matt Powell's documentary. 
I think it went all right. You weren't there, so you don't know, but I think it went all right. Uh, so here is, this is going to be the last week that we uh, put up our winter producers on the screen. Um, here they are. Go ahead and... Winter? Uh, I'm sorry, not winter. Not winter. Uh, spring, rather. Spring. Um, well, we're summer now. I know. Well, here's what happens. We, tur- we, we, right. we turn over to summer, and I give people about two weeks to sign up. And then they switch over. So each one goes into the next quarter a little bit. Anyway, there are executive producers. We already have some executive producers that have uh, that have been purchased, and uh, the the cup this this summer is fantastic. I have to say it's fantastic. It is the MM symbol with a face mask over it because, of course, the whole world is face masking up. Something that we'll talk about a little bit. Nice cup, bro. What do you get? This is, a, it's like one of those homemade mugs. Oh, yeah. When we went to uh, Monticello. Yeah. Like seven years ago or whatever. Right. For all you Virginians out there. Okay, so. And uh, anyway, there's a picture of me. It's like my family sitting. It oh, nice. didn't nice. translate very well. But um, we thought it was cool. Okay, back to our producers. So uh, today we are going to celebrate this is one thing that uh, most executive producers don't do, which is send in a note. Now, this will be uh, the name will actually be on our next producership, on our next show. Um, but we're going to read this today, anyway. It says from <clears throat> from anonymous. I would like to not the group anonymous, by the way. This is just a person <laughs> that re- wanted to remain anonymous. I would like to nominate Ned Benfield as executive producer. Ned is a wonderful guy with a great sense of humor. This sponsorship is intended to be a small thank you to Ned for his friendship, faithfulness, and his love of Yote Vave and his excellent, humble leadership. Ned passes out business cards to people. He meets that reference John 546. This is not in the note, but I will read John 546 for everyone. It says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. That was I love it. Week. Yes. Yes. He says that's that so cool. Anonymous goes on and says, You will not spend very much time around Ned without discovering that in his life, Messiah matters. So to, yeah. Ned, to Ned Benfield. <laughs> You've been blessed. Blessed. And Ned's name will show up for the entire summer quarter of right our on. producership, along with all of our other ex- executive producers. Thank you to Anonymous. Not the organization, but just that person. Right, and thank you, Ned. Too. And what thank a, what you, a Ned. good, uh, good, good. Uh, yeah. I like that. That that makes my heart happy today. That's good. Okay, well, does it make you happy enough to sing? Because if so, you can't do it in California. Let's talk about this. Faith leaders are speaking out. This is from Fox News, by the way. Faith leaders are speaking out after California Governor Gavin Newsom banned singing and chanting in houses of worship last week due to a surge in coronavirus. Cases following weeks of protests. Places of worship, this is a quote, by the way, quote, places of worship must therefore discontinue singing and chanting activities and limit indoor attendance to 25% of building capacity or a maximum of 100 attendees, whichever is lower. The new guidelines read as state health officials recommend churches have members sing online from their homes. Center for Disease Control and Prevention officials point to singing 
as a proven way to spread a virus as the Golden State recorded more than 11,700 new COVID-19 cases Sunday alone, the highest single-day count of any state. With over 271,000 confirmed cases and at least 6,366 deaths, California now has the second highest number of cases behind New York, bumping us, that is Washington, out of the second place, right? I think, was it us or was it New Jersey? I don't know. Anyway. Are those traceable to churches and places of worship? No. In fact, I think that actually these are traceable more to all of the uh, protests and all that kind of stuff that have been going on. So it's it sounds scientific, but is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great question. Um, yes, I mean, it, it does, sounds it like, does, oh, it's... <laughs> It sounds like science. If you would like to comment on this or sing to us a song so that we can hear your beautiful voice, you can do so. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. You can also... We would love that. Yeah, Yeah, sing us a song, and I I will let you know it'll probably make it on air. Um, Seaheg at TorahResource.com is our email address. It's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource. That is actually my personal email address. Um, what do you think about this? And here's the thing. This is what I went through as I was pasting this into my my notes for today. First of all, those are some really high numbers. 11,700 new COVID-19 cases on Sunday alone. Now, they've mandated in Washington State that we have to wear masks out in public. Uh, people don't read the fine Not only that, they've mandated uh, <clears throat> as of today or yesterday that businesses are at are um are what do you call it susceptible to losing their business license if they do not enforce it so what the governor done has done is shifted the responsibility onto the business owner say look we're going to shut you down unless you mandate your own yeah i mean i don't want to get into politics here i think this is all somewhat ridiculous obviously i think that uh you know i think that we basically have uh a constitution that that fights against this and i think we do also for um, and sorry to anyone who's in the UK listening or anywhere else outside of the United States, but you know we also have something. The First Amendment tells us that the government is not to place any laws on <coughs> places of worship. <clears throat> I mean, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but no, but and but the the idea is this: is you, the government will ideally defend you from any external. Yeah, coercion. Loss of, loss of but and- what, what they're going to say, though, is that unless you're potentially a threat to others, then the government has the right to, yeah, to, I, I guess to for, enforce a something like masks. For, for me, I mean, because ultimately I think that our responsibility as Christians, as believers, as followers of, of Yeshua, I think that our first uh, responsibility is to keep the commandments of God. As best we can. Um, however, I think that the, the reason that this is interesting and the reason that I think that this is worth talking about because is because um, basically with numbers like that, the question becomes, is it a is it right for a believer to first think of others and their well-being? And therefore follow the guidelines that should be kept. Or should we say, uh, you know, each to his own. And if you want to wear a mask and, uh, you know, or if you want to sing at the top of your lungs, 
That's up to you. I have my own personal thoughts on this. Go for it. Well, it, it's a tough one. We've had in locally, you know, we have met probably contrary to the state or particular states quote guidelines or mandate. Sure. We have, we have gone ahead and met. And then we've also had people who have worn masks and people who have not worn masks. Um, I think we've had some people who wear masks some of the time. And I, I have to admit, this is unprecedented for me to think in terms of like the, just the, the theoretical legal problem on one hand, and then how to apply it. So I've, I've asked people, you know, we've been talking amongst, what do you feel about this? How do you think, you know, the two people got into a pretty good conversation and then it was not, it didn't escalate or anything, but one and their family was wearing a mask and the other was not. And they're like, look, I, I don't feel condemned by you or anything. It's just that we're doing it because this is for our family and we believe we're convicted on that. And so it does. But again, I, it, it feels a little chaotic to me. Um, and uncertain. And, I, and I've led with this hope of like, look, we're, this is temporary. Um, well, let's err on the side of, of being extra cautious. We do have some people that are high risk, even in, in my own family, we have people who are high risk. And so it's like, okay, so we got to be, how do we do this? You know, um, let's not assume, let's not jump to the assumption that this is an evil satanic conspiracy to take all our rights away you know there's a temptation to do that um and so uh but i i think that it can only go so far and then people are going to say okay enough this is insane well see i thought i thought that uh people would have done that a long time ago because for me you know and our group is much different than yours we only have one high-risk person in the entire congregation only one everyone else is young um we base and we are much smaller than you. We hail at about 30 to 35 people, whereas you're up close to 85 to 100. No, no not so much. No, not really. Not anymore. Well, the more people, the more people you have, obviously, the more tricky it gets. Our leadership got together in the in, you know, while masks were not required, but uh, meeting together in groups of more than like five or something like that was essentially against the law here in it wasn't against the law. It was against the mandate in uh, in Washington State, and our leadership got together and said, "Well, we're gonna. It's a commandment to gather. We're gonna gather, and uh, anyone who is concerned at all about coming into contact with people, please stay at home." Yeah, or if you're sick or you think you've been exposed, right. stay at home. Yeah, I mean that's that's good. And and that's ultimately what we did. And then and then at, we had already been meeting for several weeks. And then they said, okay, you can start getting back together again. And now they say masks are required. And uh, one of our leaders said, well, you know, Jay Inslee, who's our governor, Jay Inslee isn't coming to our group, uh, so uh, he, won't, he won't know anyway. And so basically it's the same thing. No, I haven't seen one mask at our, at our congregation. And uh, here's the other thing is that our congregation it doesn't have a, a, a business license or a 501c3 or a nonprofit license through the state at all. What are they going to do? take our business license away? No, we don't have one. So, I mean, those kind of concerns haven't come into play for us. Technically speaking, we're a bunch of families that are happen, happen to, <laughs> to show up in the same place. Um, but ultimately, to meet is one thing. And I, and I think that, you know, 
can we say that singing is commanded in our places of worship each each Shabbat? Is singing a commandment? Yeah. Well, I and I would say singing is an absolute uh, is an important and absolute essential expression of our worship, but not necessarily the only one. Um, but I mean, a lot of the Psalms say, sing unto the Lord, you right. know, Paul says, sing, you know, spiritual songs to one another and edify one another. So to me, I'm a musician. And so I'm like, really have a strong bent for that. But there's been times where we've, um, we were at a different location and we had an agreement that we wouldn't do anything real loud, you know, on if a, if a Shabbat or holiday fell on a week business day, because we were part of a larger business complex. And we're like, okay, so on those days, we'll, we'll do sack lunch and Bible study. And maybe we've get just acoustic guitar and a little bit of singing, but nothing like big and loud where everybody's singing. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Singing to me, singing music, music is really important to me. Um, I think it's a big, it's all throughout scripture. And, uh, but yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I can't imagine people singing with masks because you can't, you need to be able to breathe. You My know? family tried to walk through the mall last night from one end of the mall to the other to get frozen yogurt. Yeah. I got winded. I mean, I'm fat anyway, but I got winded because of this freaking mask I'm wearing. I had to take the mask off while walking what? because it, how many just, was it was the mall pretty full i mean no was there a lot of how many what percent of people were wearing masks uh well in stores it was required you couldn't enter stores oh. and they had people posted outside of the stores making sure that you wore a mask but in the main corridor it said that you had to have a mask on maybe 50 percent had masks on Maybe seven. Okay. Maybe seven people. They have them with them, but they're not wearing them. Yeah, and I and basically all I did was take my mask and pull it down so that it you know it's a it's a double chin holder at that point for me, um, <laughs> you know, and that really shows the uh, the amount of breath that is uh, <laughs> is being lost <laughs> when your mask when your mask becomes a double chin holder. Uh, people people understand that you're winded. Okay, let's. That's uh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Now, I want to talk about New Jersey, but we're going to wait because we're going to go to a biblical topic really quick. And I say really quick. But um, no show next. The show next week will not be Wednesday, correct? We will not have a show next week. It will be something from New Jersey at some point, but it will be later in the week. And that'll probably, well, it'll probably be posted for Messiah Matters More members. Oh, gotcha. Um, and we will probably do some kind of a, a live shout out at some point, talk about the, you know, to everyone. Um, yeah. So yeah. next week we're going to New Jersey. By the way, I don't know if people realize this. We I did post yesterday, I did post a Messiah Matters More video where we talk about my work uh, on what is the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I have identified what I think are three characteristics of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Not that a person has to agree with all three of them to be part of the Hebrew Roots movement, but I contend that one of to be considered Hebrew Roots, you have to hold to one of those three. Or two of them. Or two. two. Or one, two, or three of them. But not zero of them. That's my contention. <laughs> okay. 
Colleen writes in, and she wrote this in probably like six months ago, and it got lost in the email bag, and so uh, now we will look at it. She says, I wonder what you all understand regarding the witch and Samuel. If you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Witch of Endor. Yes, it sounds like a J.R.R. Tolkien reference. It's not. It's actually in your Bible. Anyway, the Witch of Endor, was it actually Samuel? And for those who don't remember the story, the king goes... uh, all soothsaying and necromancers are uh, are illegal at the time. The king banished. Banished. They, the king goes to the Witch of Endor and says, I need to talk to Samuel, who is now dead, of course. The witch uh, takes the money and calls up Samuel. Lo and behold, Samuel actually shows up. This is new, obviously, for the Witch of Endor because she freaks out, right? It's something she's obviously never seen before. And so the question is, what was it? Um, and Colleen asks the right questions. Was it a demon? Was Samuel dead and then rose? Was his spirit slash soul in some capacity aware? Abraham's bosom or soul sleep, something like that. What do you guys think? Do you want to even touch this with a 10-foot pole? Yeah, I thought, you know what? <laughs> I I want to say sorry to Colleen if we didn't that we didn't do this. I thought we already answered her email. This was part but, of a different email. Okay, but anyway, yeah, this is a great. It's First Samuel twenty eight. Like Caleb just said, um, King Saul had he was freaking out because you know God was not answering any of his prayers. Right. God, he he was like. So what does he do? I love this. God, but, but answer- he, so he banished out of it's. It's such a it's such a wonderful story of hypocrisy because yes, he's exactly. he's he's totally disobedient to the Lord. But then he's like, oh, I'll tell you. Oh, okay. God doesn't like uh, the 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 wizards or the what do you call them? The necromancers. necromancers yeah. So I'm gonna I'm going to or the soothsayers. So I'm gonna send, I'm gonna banish them. But then but then God still won't answer his prayer. So then he's like. I'm going to go see a soothsayer <laughs> to find out what the Lord wants. He's totally, it just reflects his, his character is just twisted, uh, you know, but in any event, yeah, it said he comes and she's like, how dare you come to me? You're, you're basically, you know, putting a target on my back, you know, by coming to me. And he's like, Oh, you know, nothing will happen to you as the Lord lives. Nothing will happen to you. And so, she sees Sam Samuel and she like she leads lets out a great cry, it says. And then she says, he says, What do you see? He says, I she says, I see Elohim. Right. And then well, no, it says first she said she sees Elohim and she freaks out. She knows she says, You're Saul. So she all of a sudden realizes that this is Saul. That the king is the one who's... who's yeah. It's the one asking her, making this request. And uh, and so the question is, and then it says, Samuel says to Saul, you know, and there's this conversation. And then at the end, you know, it just reaffirms whatever message he gets through the soothsayer, just confirms what, you know, Saul's own disobedience and that the kingdom's going to be taken from him, etc. So people, this passage has, uh, gets a special attention for the very reason that you made in your comment. It sounds like, is this Lord of the Rings kind of thing? Um, <laughs> the Witch of Endor. Wind- or is that Star Endor. Wars? Is Endor? I don't know. Maybe it was Star Wars. But it doesn't matter. The point is, 
where else in scripture do we read of a situation like this, right? Where you have the word, you have the word Elohim, like she sees Elohim. Okay, hang on, just like, hang on, just take that. We do have a place in the apostolic scriptures where we see people who have passed on show up, right? Yeshua goes and he talks to Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah, yeah, come and talk to him, yeah. And they're dead, right? So is that really, I mean, it, obviously this has a little bit different taste to it because this is a, you know, a necromancer. She's obviously doing stuff that's not correct. It's obviously a shock to her. Whereas on the other hand, you have Yeshua going up to, um, and you know, there's it's been suggested that this is Passover or not uh, Sukkot because he says, "Would you like me to make a hut for each one of you?" Oh, for back to the transfiguration. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Um, but the point is, is I I think that any suggestion that we would make would be just that it's a suggestion, and the reason why is because I think my father actually says that this was a, a demon. Um, I don't know. And I don't think it matters. And God we, allowed it. God allowed right. her. Here's, here's what we can say for sure. God allowed a, a couple things. He allowed this woman and Saul to have this, whatever this experience was. It reaffirmed what Saul already knew. There was no new information. And it was, Saul was trying to avoid the judgment of God and trying to find some other way. And even in this, him uh, exposing his own hypocrisy by right. banishing something and then going and seeking out the very thing that he's supposedly banished in the name of God to just get no new information. Um, but God also, you know, it was important that the scribes recorded and passed down this account for us to read and, and understand. The fact that it is so odd on many fronts means we have to be careful, like I'm with you, Caleb, that we, we have to be careful to not try to force too much out of it because we don't have a lot of other scriptures we can compare it to. Um, and, and there's things like, why does she say Elohim? Is it just because she's afraid and she thinks the judgment of God is coming on her? Ooh, that's going to go into our next conversation. Yeah. Or some people say, no, it means it's a disembodied spirit, you know, and that's what they're, and then they try to use this and it's like, well, wait a minute. I think the biggest points that we take away from is, is not the use of the word Elohim specifically or whether it's Samuel or not, it's the larger exposure of Saul behaving according to his own uh, hypocrisy, his own twisted heart, that no matter where he went, he wasn't going to get a different judgment from God. So Johnny um, in the in the chat room says paging Dr. Heiser. Okay, let's talk about that real quick. Okay, so I'm sorry, Colleen, I don't think you're going to get a good answer. And, and what a disappointing answer that is for, for our chat room and everyone listening. Um, we're going to New Jersey to the, the conference next so we're not leaving next week. We're actually leaving the day after next Wednesday, but we're going to be packing and getting ready, and so we're not going to have time to to do a, a show. Um. Okay. So, so keep us in your prayers for a safe travel. Yes. For our whole team and for an awesome, blessed conference by God. So the the question is: is what is is Rob going to be? First of all, what's the conference theme? 
It's all about new creation. Okay, new creation. You can go to Messiah. It's a Messiah2020.com. Is that it? I, I have no clue. Um, I think so. So then the question is, now Rob had said to me, I have an idea about talking about some of the things that Heiser has written, Dr. Heiser, and this idea of Elohim. Um, Andre in the, uh, in the chat room says, because Elohim isn't specific to God as we use it today. Um, it's messiah2020.org. Okay. Independent Messianic Conference. And it's uh, New Creation Accomplished and Applied. I'm excited. This is going to be pretty awesome. Evelyn ha makes a great point about John 17 and the Transfiguration. She says, in John 17, 9, it says, Yeshua said not to tell anyone of the vision the di disciples had seen. Great point. Okay. Um, anyway, so this idea of... Um, Elohim and disembodied spirits, as you had just referenced, comes into Heiser's realm. <laughs> Unseen, never mind. Okay, only people who own the book will know. Um, and so, Those realms. Yes, I think it's I'm plural. sorry. Yes, there's more yes. than one. Okay, so the question then is. Apparently. I'm sorry, I'm reading a comment. And Matt says, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Chewbacca was from Endor. Yes. Nice. Um, okay, nice. That's that's why. That's what... <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, okay, let's get back to it. So I, I want to... He I wanna, is a Nephilim. Here's the thing. I want to tread, tread super lightly on this because I don't want to, A, give away anything that you're going to talk about at the conference necessarily, although I don't think that's really a problem. And uh, what did I say? A or one or anyway. And D, um, I, uh, I, I don't want you just to, you know, blast Heiser necessarily on this show and, and have us lose, you know, 15 of the 36 people listening. So um, tell me. Well, I don't know. OK, it'll if if I if I get there, it'll probably be in the last session. To talk about Heiser. Heiser's view on certain things. It won't be him as a person, of course. It's just his published stuff, you know, from right. his dissertation to his books. You know, I, but FYI, I, I say hi and usually chat with Heiser very briefly every year at the SBL. Keep going. Um, yeah, and so he's he, uh, he's written a, a number of books. He's all over YouTube. I've been to uh, a few of his different presentations over the years during the ETS uh, thing. Um, I've got a few of his books. I've read his dissertation and some of his published articles. Um, and I know people personally who have spent a lot of time reading and trying to follow his line of thought and stuff like that. Um, so anything I would say has nothing to do with him as a person. It has to do with... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my presumption is that he loves God and was doing his best, according to his understanding, to try to, you know, explain the scriptures to people. Okay, now, now so go. that's my presupposition. Um, but I think um, that there's a, a disservice, or there's another facet to the the things he sees as hooks. Uh, the things that he sees are like, oh, you know, things that have to be explained by reference to, for example, Second Temple Jewish literature like Enoch or 
um, the Book of Jubilees or things like that, or to the larger North Semitic tradition of, of ancient Canaanite, you know, ancient Ugaritic texts like the Baal cycle. And there's completely, there's a completely plausible alternative explanation in my view for these things that just that to me take the wind out of that out of the sails and what concerns me is that a lot of the the sensate what i call sensationalism and sizzle comes from only showing it's it to me it comes across as a sleight of hands kind of thing um Okay, you got to hash and that one out for us. What I mean is that I'm just going to show you that if you stand here and you squint and you look and the sun is in the sky just right and you look in that direction and I'll point it out to you, you're going to see something really amazing and special. And so it's all to set up somebody to see that thing. But what I would say is like, okay, well, open up both your eyes, walk around this whole space and you can do it any time of the day and you're going to see something completely different. And so that's, that's my view is, uh, is that, and now for something completely different, <laughs> is that, is that Monty Python? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Monty Python. Um, but yeah. And so one of them is this, uh, is this idea of Elohim. Like what is Elohim? Who are B'nai Elohim, you know, B'nai Elohim in, in, Genesis six, you know, and this gets, it gets back into the Chuck Missler realm and realms. Another, a place where I probably would talk about it. If it does come into the conference, it, it would be uh, Heiser's approach to Psalm 82 and Deuteronomy 32. Weights and measures. <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, Heiser says that the Masoretic text is actually uh, incorrect. It's not original. They have a modified Torah. They modified the Torah that the Torah really reads like what the Septuagint has there, where it says, uh, uh, you know, when God, I'm going from memory here, when, when the most high, uh, you know, set out the, the nations, their inheritance, he did it according to the number, le mispar, to the number of now the Masoretic text says Bnei Yisrael, according to the number of the sons of Israel. Right. Whereas Heiser says, no, that's all fine and dandy for the Masoretes, but really they were, that's a theologically motivated textual change that the scribes changed the scripture there. And Heiser's in good company. He's not the only one. So this isn't a beat up on Heiser. This is a whole academic SBLification of things here uh, because look at the Septuagint. It says, uh, according to the Angelon uh, Teu, I think it says, uh, according to the angels of God. And then there's a fragment of Dead Sea Scroll, a little piece of uh, leather that says, uh, that appears to have this verse from Deuteronomy and says, uh, B'nai Elohim or B'nai Elohim. I don't remember if there's a definite article on there or not. And so the argument is the first reading of Deuteronomy 32 is according to the sons of God. Right. Not sons of Israel. And that's a big deal. 
Yeah, it changes because a lot. Beca- it changes a lot, doesn't it? Because it's tied to like, who are these sons of God? Who right. <laughs> they are these the unseen realms, beings without bodies. Oh man, do I have without- the Twilight Zone? That would but, be so good. Anyway, here, keep going. Here's the thing: if you read Unseen Realms, what you find out, Heiser has a a, a, super, a certain kind of supersessionalism, but it's not what we normally think. What what Heiser says, if I read him, if I'm reading him correctly, he's saying that. When God created the world, he created all these heavenly, these sons of God to rule over the nations. Each, each one was given a nation. And then, but Israel was for yod heh alone. So that there are, in fact, multiple Elohim that are real Elohim that are, that are given authority over different nations of the world. Um, and so ancient Israel were what we call uh, not monotheists, but uh, they they practice what we call monolatry. They believed in the existence of multitudes of Elohim, but they only worshipped one of them, and that one of them happens to be the one who created them all, and that's Yod Vav who his portion is Israel, and so Israel, like the the Ten Commandments say, uh, right? It says uh, there shall not be lotihye. Uh, Elohim acharim. There will not be other gods, uh, other Elohim. And the idea is, yeah, so it doesn't mean that they didn't exist. It means that in your worship of me, you do not t- pick up the gods that the nations are worshiping. And But then what he says is a supersession, is that what happened is that those, those gods that yod created that were uh, disembodied beings, they failed. They failed in their mandate from the creator to rule their people with justice and righteousness. Therefore, they lost their, uh, what do you call it? They lost, they lost their commission. And what in, in Christ, who both is and is not yod according to Heiser. He says he is and he is not, which is strange. But what happened was he took uh, those who believe, who would believe in Jesus and made them the new sons of God and, and appoint them as rulers over the nations. In other words, it's like you had a movie theater with all these seats, all these ruling seats, of, and every seat in the movie theater was one of these sons of God, and they all they all lost their commission, and so God sent Christ to refill the seats of the of all those empty seats, all those vacant seats needed an eternal ruler, and those are the sons of God now that we read about in John one, right? He gave them authority to be sons of God. And that that's now the theater seats of the rulers of the of the nations are filled once again. Uh, and this time, never to lose their throne, though they're never going to lose their place. That's his. That's his. Uh, I think it's. I think of it as a mythology. Um, I have so many sound bites that I want to play right now. I found my sound. I found. I found my sound. If anybody in- here, I want to say this: if in any way, any of you who've taken this seriously and have read unseen realms if you think i miss misportraying please let me know the okay. last thing i want the last thing i want to be doing is is telling people misrepresenting somebody you know that's, johnny johnny says no heiser says the division happened 
as a response to the Tower of Babel and connects the promise to Abraham to a new, quote, new humanity based on faith slash loyalty to Yotevave. Okay, but it's a it's a decommission. It's they failed. They fa- the sons of, the original sons of God failed, and new ones they advocated their right because they failed to to rule justly. And That's P- from unseen realms. PJ notes that Heiser is a strong binitarian, meaning he rejects the Trinity. Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't. That, that I didn't. I've never really looked at it from that perspective. So okay. So so since I found my my soundboard here too, uh, that that I think what you're saying to that is, if you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. <laughs> uh, I think okay. it's unseen realm singular. Is it singular or plural? I, I used to have that book, but then I sent it to you. So yeah, I think it's realm. You should but, have it on your shelf. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, but I, that, that's the, the, that's the core of it. Okay, good. The, well, um, of what I would talk about, the, there are multiple other things I think that w- would come to oh, reading Psalm 82, how to read Psalm 182 or Psalm 82, for example, is another one. Okay. We've talked about singing in church. We've talked about Heiser. We've talked about Samuel and the witch of Endor. Um, well, we got one more thing we can talk about. We have plenty of time for it. And we've talked about this before on our show. Um, but that's okay. Susan writes in and says, could you or Rob address why only the KJV of Mark seven nineteen translates Catharizzo as purify instead of purge. Even the new King James version has purified meats as a defense of the KJV. I will bring up Matthew 15 to point out a type of textual dissonance combined with the whole Messiah's can't disregard uh, Messiah can't disregard or change the law argument. It sometimes makes an impression, but I will be talking to my pa- uh, to my pastor. Blah blah blah. So basically, the the question that is a great question. Yeah, and and I've asked this before, and I think I you know Andre reads French too, and I think I might have asked him years ago. Say, hey, what what is the French like? If you look at the history of Western translations of the Scripture, at what point? Because she's totally right. Was this a he or a she? Um, this uh, person. This is Susan. Susan. Oh, thank you, Susan. She is totally correct that the King James. If all you had was a King James, you would never think. You don't. You don't leave the King James Mark reading. Oh, Jesus did away with. <laughs> okay, hang on, just a sec. The Zane said, "Hang on, we have to. We have to hold," because Zane says he is a Trinitarian. That is Heiser. So we don't want to spread falsity here. Um, okay. Yeah, I have no. PJ says he's a Binitarian. Uh, and Zane says he's a Trinitarian. Okay. And, uh, okay. we should also note that, uh, somebody, Johnny says, will you be interested in inviting him on your show? No, probably not. Uh, we, we, uh, no, if you want to know what he know, what he's teaches or what he, you know, it's, it's all on the internet. There's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's no, I don't see. And, and here's the thing is that we've, um, we've had, uh, um, we, we have interviewed several people on this show in the past. Usually it's people from Torah Resource now, and we've kind of made a policy that we really don't um, bring people onto the show unless there's some kind of a circumstance that would warrant right. such a thing. Um, right. and, Especially when one of them went to prison. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And there's reasons why. We've had people on this show before that we uh, now honestly regret having on this show, and so we don't want to do that again. 
usually if we're going to um, bring somebody onto the show, it's somebody who is in uh, who has written a book that we're interested in. Actually, there was some, you know, we were going to bring a very well-known scholar onto the show and he had just bought, uh, written a book about Paul. And this is kind of when we decided not to uh, bring any more people on the show. We we both bought the book. We read the book. <laughs> we we sat down. We read the book, and we said we're not having this guy on the show because we don't want to just bring somebody on and tell them that their whole book was trash. Um, and after that, we started looking at some of the previous interviews that we had done with people on this show, and we said, you know what, we wish we wouldn't have had these people on either. If you want to know what people want to have to say about uh, about things, you can go on their websites. You can find their videos on YouTube. That's totally fine. This show is uh, not for interviews, though. And actually, that's one of the reasons that I uh, have started doing interviews on Growing in Messiah is because there are Christian authors that I would love to talk to about their books. Okay, go ahead. So, yeah, back to this idea of if all you had was the King James Version, you don't finish the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, thinking that, you know, Mark 7, that uh, Jesus did away with the food laws. That's that Susan makes this point and she's like, well, why then, if this is true 500 years ago, is it five or 400? I don't know. However, you know, several hundred years ago. Who are you talking King, about? Oh, the, the King, King James, James okay, version got it. Yes. of where Six, he doesn't say, 11, right? it says it purging, purging all foods, right? purging all meats or whatever. At some point in the, in the translation history, if you do a chronology of, of the published translations of Mark in Western languages. I'm so I'm thinking like you're Spanish, French, German, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. English. At what point does the reader encounter this idea? And I think in English, I don't think it's until the late 19th century. I think it's only about a hundred years old. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think it it's probably not older than 150 years. Yeah. In other words, the idea is what the question is, when did the idea emerge to read Mark seven as saying, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And my, my basic contention is that it's pretty recent in in 2000 years of, of apostolic writing history. It's a pretty new idea. And so I think she's, I think Susan's right to say, to ask this question. What does Coverdale say? But I think she pointed out, doesn't she, did she point out that even the newer King James modif- went and modified it? I don't have it. The way to do it would be to go to, um, is it Bible Gateway where you can see like all 50, see all 50 translations? Yeah, I'm looking right now in accordance. What does Tyndale say? Is it Mark, Mark 7, 19? I'm going to do a Bible Gateway. A Mark seven. Nine. I put Tyndale. This is the this is one of my frustrations with. Uh, I mean, there's no way around it. But one of my frustrations with uh, Accordance, you put Tyndale in, and it, like everything that's published by Tyndale House comes up. Okay. Oh, look at this. Whatever the AMPC is translation, it says he was declaring all food ceremonially clean. That is abolishing the ceremonial distinctions of the Levitical law. Oh my goodness, that's a Bible. Who says that? The the AMPC, which is the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. Yikes, Ouch. Amundo. That's a, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not a translation, folks. So like Darby, yeah, purging all meats. Yeah, so Darby's an older translation. 
um, DRA. I don't know. What's what the actual is. verse? I'm or, sorry. Is it seven nine? Is it seven? No. Oh, the Douay rhymes. Even the Catholic the Catholic Bible of 1899 still says purge all meats. Wait, wait. Mark, what's the verse? Mark seven nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Because it entereth not into his hurt, but into ye belly. And goeth out into the drought that purges out all meats. Which one's that? That is the Tyndale Bible. Tyndale so, translation. So your dad has a great short. It is technical, but here's the thing: you can't ask, you can't get into these questions without getting technical, because you're there's the realm of the the uh, who's the audience. If the audience is just the English reader, then that audience is limited to the translations that are that they have access to. If someone is reading the original language, then they have a different set of questions that they bring, and but the but the skill set required of the reader is is different. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. <laughs> Here's what's W E. What's W E? W E. Worldwide English says this. Oh. By saying this, Je Jesus meant that food does not make a person dirty. See, I think that here's the thing is that personally for me, even if uh, it says thus declaring all foods clean, let's pretend that that's the, the valid translation for that verse. I don't think it is, but let's pretend that that is the valid translation. I still don't think that it means what people think it means. You keep using that verse. I don't think it means what you think it means. Basically, what he's saying is that food goes into you. That doesn't change the heart. It comes out of you unclean. That food comes out unclean, but what goes into like go, what goes into a person into the heart, that's what makes a person unclean, like spiritually unclean. That's what he's talking about. And so, I mean, the idea of even if you take the translation, thus declaring all foods clean, it still doesn't. It still doesn't mean that he's declaring all foods kosher. That that's not. <laughs> Here's what, the message. Oh the message. no! This which is uh, what's his name? Eugene Peterson. Uh, he says, um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be good when, when Rob laughs before he, while he's reading it the first time. He has time. this thing. It says that took care of dietary, dietary quibbling. Jesus was saying all foods are fit to eat. Wow. The TLB. I don't know what the TLB is. It shows that every kind of food is kosher. <laughs> That's the living Bible. Wow. Yeah. So, so this is an example of translations matter, you know, um, Translations have theological agendas, right? And and uh, bias. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. Because some of these translations, there's no way to read them other than, like, like the one we looked at, that Yeshua is at odds with the with the Torah. Read your Bible he, is interpreted by experts. That he came and changed it, and then and then so they're gonna say, yeah, he had the authority to to do away with that. Um, you know, I forgot how good our our soundboard is. We really do have a good soundboard. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, so the way to do if here's here's a good, you, you don't even need to know Bible languages to appreciate this. If you go to the Bible Gateway website, and you type in a verse, so it's BibleGateway.com, and then there's a button. So you look up a verse and then it defaults to NIV or whatever. But then there's a little button that says, look at Mark 719 in all English translations. And literally there's, I think there's 50 
trans and they're just all anytime you you scroll through those 50 and you see radical differentiation like if you go to the verse in john where it says jesus wept it's pretty much going to be jesus wept jesus wept jesus all the way down right they're all in agreement okay that's not then so that's not a verse where you're going to there's contention, but you find a place like this and you see two completely different ways of reading it, you know, you're like, okay, the, all these translators, there, there's more to it than what's coming through in the translation. And um, there's, you know, there's several verses like that where you're going to, you scroll through that list and you're going to say, wait a minute, I can't agree with all these. And then the question is, okay, so how are you going to study you know, how are you going to, what are you going to do? Are you just going to walk around saying, I just don't know what it means? Or are you going to pursue and and come to stand on your own opinion about it? And if you're going to want to work and stand on your opinion, you got some work to do. Right. Um, yeah. In the chat room, Tim says, what translations are safe to use or recommend? This, I mean, we, we answer this question so often that, uh, that, my father, Tim did Tim Hag did a uh, a a entire teaching on this called "What Version of the Apostolic Scripture Should I Read?" And uh, you can find that it's a single audio and or video teaching on TorahResource.com. You can go find it. Ultimately, if you're going to study the Bible, you need to find uh, several good translations. I personally use the ESV, the NASB, and the Net Bible. The Net I use not for the translation itself. But rather for the uh, you know sixty six thousand notes or whatever there is. Yeah, there. yeah, the the text notes are really good. And that article or, or that uh, series that Caleb refers to that Tim Haig did is not to be confused with his paper also available. Which version of the Mishnah did Paul read? Right, different, totally different. different. Which it, by the title you can tell is is a little tongue in cheek. It's not a little tongue in cheek. It is fully <laughs> tongue in cheek. Um, okay. That's what we got for this week. I know it's a little bit short. We're six six minutes short of our normal time, but that's okay. Oh, I know. Heaven, heaven for fame. Um, we're going to come back in two weeks, and we're probably going to stream something. Here's the great part. I've been told that Rob and I actually are sharing a hotel room, which means we have plenty of time to uh, to try to stream some uh, some live YouTube thoughts of the conference and stuff like that. Maybe we'll do that, and we'll post them online. Yeah, that'll uh, be fun for you guys to check out. And then for our, uh, for anyone who is a Messiah Matters More subscriber for five dollars a month or more, uh, we will post probably some kind of something. Um, probably one of, actually, we'll probably record and post our Messiah Matters uh, show that we're doing live there in the Messiah Matters More section. So yeah, tune in for that. And if you want to become a subscriber, you can do that on TorahResource.com. You can find it on the Messiah Matters more or on the Messiah Matters page on our website. All right, uh, it's been fun. We'll see you guys all in two weeks. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Yeah.